Hello, and welcome to episode 89 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Wednesday, April 27th, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Aloha. Oh, that's right. You are all relaxed and vacationed. I snuck away to Hawaii with my family for a week. I mean, you didn't really sneak. You just left. (laughs) You left left me here. I left you here. It was awesome. We went to Hawaii. Oh, my gosh. It was just lots of birds and sea turtles and monk seals and ocean and ocean and more ocean and some jungle. It was gorgeous. It sounds delightful. And that's why you have two kids in one school. Which was good planning. Thank you. I also have no tan to show for it. Well done. Because we found an SPF that really works. Oh, good. (laughs) So no tan, but no burn, which is the most important. That is key. Yeah. Yeah. So now you're back here with our chilly weather and just living life. And we're still jet lagged. It's only three hours, but. It's harder this way. It really is. And there it's so bright. Like the light is so good and the darkness is so dark <laughs> that it's it makes it a little it takes me a couple more days to adjust. How about you? How are you? I'm good. I'm receiving emails from Boy One School saying all the important dates that are coming up, like graduation rehearsal for the seniors, which I'm not sure why that made me freak out. <laughs> But it made it all really, really real that that our children are graduating in a few weeks. Yeah. So. We are headed into absolute crazy four weeks. Like, yeah, we have five. We have five whole... Well, I guess it's like four and a half now, but yeah. Prom. Yeah. And, all the things. Um, rehearsals and... Rehearsals and graduation. And we have to finish our college de- um, decision. So we're oh, looking gosh. at colleges this week, which is why... We're recording a little early. Um, so, yeah, it's all the things for our older boys right now. It is all coming down to the wire. Yeah, very exciting, though. Yeah. Yep. But makes things a little out of the normal, like vacation does. But here on the podcast, we will just be business as usual with on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand. I got to warn you, my table is really light. <laughs> Well, you were living it up. Well done. Thank you. Very proud of you. (laughs) But on the needles, so much excitement. I still am, I think, basking in the afterglow of the knitting retreat because I have two finished projects and two new projects. I think that's it. Yeah. So that's it. I mean, very exciting, but I was trying to think if I had more more new projects than that, but no. So first off, I finished my toolbox cowl because I was just, I wanted to finish it. And so I did. And that is a pattern by Adventure Du Jour Designs. The yarn I used was a mini skein set from Stitches West 2019, which is even farther back than I was envisioning it, hmm. from Destination Yarns in her fingering base. So it's six colors, three are solid. There was a light blue, a dark burgundy, and a tan beigey color, and then three multicolored skeins that had at least one of those colors in them, if not more, 
and additional colors. So there was one that was like a light blue and a beige and a white and orange, I think. So the pattern started off with a nice bit of ribbing and then there was a slip stitch with you threw in a second color and then you stopped using the first color and just did stockinette in the second color. Repeat through all of your colors until you finish up with another nice bit of ribbing. And it turned out really cute. I was very excited about the color choice order that I figured out. I think it looked really nice. And uh, I don't know when I'm going to wear it ever. <laughs> I mean, in the winter. I don't yeah. know when I'm going to wear it anytime soon. But it's very cute. And it's a nice, It's. I mean, it's fingering weight. So it's pretty lightweight. So actually, maybe I'll wear it this summer <laughs> as I'm hanging out here in foggy San Francisco. Right. It does get It's cold today. You could wear it today. I could wear it today. I forgot about that. I'm wearing some other knitwear today, which is... Oh, my gosh. The Diamond Back Top by Kira Delaney. In my, oh my gosh, that's really, really bright pink <laughs> yarn from Neighborhood Fiber Company. It is a joyful pink. It's not super bright. Uh, it's it's pretty intense in the sunlight. The lighting's pretty muted down here. Okay. In the, the studio dungeon. Can I see the rest? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's adorable. I love a v-neck and I really love the stitch work that's going through it and it's just it's a moss stitch it's really pretty and then the back is like the diamond a, lace yeah it's all one color but it's almost like a one color argyle you know just mm. the, the way it yeah yeah so on the back so there's pretty. it's a diamond pattern there's sort of lace around the edges of the diamond and in the middle is more of the moss stitch as a moss stitch hem there's a little bit of moss stitch on the sleeves yeah it and, has a cute little capped sleeve yep and it just, I'm really, really happy with it. I finished it at night and then got up the next morning. I think it was the weekend. So I was able to just sit and finish things up and woven all the ends. And then, then I thought I should probably try it on just to make sure I didn't need to, to redo anything. And I put it on and then I was like, yep, that's good. And just left it on the rest of the day, even though I had Hooray. blocked it and I hadn't cut any of the, the ends that I had woven Tails. in. Yeah. So they were all, I had to keep stuffing them up <laughs> into various places, but I just didn't feel like taking it off because it looked really cute. I have since blocked it. So it, it grew a little bit, but not too much. I think the next time I might throw it in the dryer when it's just damp and try and shoop it up a little bit. I'm very excited. So the yarn is from Neighborhood Fiber Company. It's their Studio Worsted. And it was um, the first colorway for the Anniversary Club. So I'm very excited to have found a use. What for color it. do they call it? Latrobe. Okay, it's like a great orchid color. Yes, I'm gonna call it orchid. It's not magenta. It's not a purple. It's not a pink. It's just a great, super wearable with a lot of different things. Orchid. Yeah, it's not like a basic neutral, but you could definitely yeah wear it with a lot of things. Yeah, so I'm really super pleased with how this turned out one of those things you have kind of a vision and you hope it's going to work and and it did so that was exciting and it counts i think club yarn using club yarn was for one of no maybe it wasn't was it one of my i forget it feels like a resolution win because <laughs> it, it was club yarn and i actually used it up so that was very exciting if we did such a thing i'd say cue the applause track but that would be fun. Yeah, that would be Yay. Fun. Okay, so that was that was good. And then I did do some work on my Helix cowl and my OMG heel socks that are for Simon, but 
I mean, nothing. They're just they're just going along, and I have other things that I want to talk about. So if you desperately need to hear more details, you can listen to back episodes, or you can look in the show notes, and I'll have all the, the links and yarns and whatnot. But then I started, because I had finished two things, so I started a couple of new things. The first is another t-shirt top, the Alpha by Astrid Schramm. The yarn from this is Cloudborne Fibers Highland Superwash Sock Twist in Ocean, which is actually a green, and Dolphin Blue, which is a blue. And honestly, that's really the only reason I can remember which is which, because I think of Ocean as blue, but it's really a green. Um, so I got this yarn at the retreat. It was in the D-Stash room. They have a room where you can bring yarn that you don't want anymore and throw it in a pile, and people generally take it away. That's so fun. And so I had wanted to try this yarn, and it looked like enough to do a t-shirt top basically and because I was working on the diamondback top and I had finished my eddy top earlier this year and I was wearing it that weekend and so I was just I'm just loving the idea of little knit t-shirts which work for San Francisco I don't know that they work everywhere but they work here so I just wanted to start so this one is two colors obviously so you start with a large stripe of your first color and then a tiny stripe of your second color and then you gradually decrease the amount you're using of the first color in your stripe and increase the second one so it the colors swap. I think it's gonna look really cute. It looks cute in the pattern picture so hopefully mine will turn out well. My colors are slightly less high contrast. The blue and the green are both pretty mellow but I'm happy with that. So I started that one and I have just I think I've done two rows of this first stripe of the second color so I haven't gotten very far. It's an interesting sleeve construction. I haven't done it before, I don't think, so we'll see how that works out. Also, hopefully I have enough yarn. I'm kind of close. It sounds like I should have enough yarn based on what the pattern calls for and how much I have, but it's always a worry and I can't really get more. So <laughs> we will see, but I'm excited about that. But then I realized that I had had plans, send stitches, to knit a tote bag for a friend of mine for their birthday. One of those things where I realized that you do actually have to create the project and start the knitting, or in this case, Tunisian crochet. Ooh. I know. And then my friend texted and said, oh, you know, I'd like to celebrate my birthday this weekend. So I said, okay, so now I have a week instead of two, which is fine. It is a pretty simple project and it's going quite quickly. So I switched over cast on that. So that is the Kensington tote bag by Tony Lipsy, who was a delightful teacher. Obviously, really, really good. She completely sold me on her book because that was where the tote bag pattern was. And there's a bunch of other cute patterns in there. So hopefully I will continue with the Tunisian crochet. And she has a whole section in the beginning with photos and instructions, which in knitting books, I generally just skip right over, but it was fabulous to have it because I sort of remembered how to do the crochet, but things like the casting on and, and the, the, the first foundation row was a little tricky. So I was really glad to have all that. And then I'm using Lion Brand Yarns Woolies Thick and Quick in Air Force, which is a blue, and Toasted Almond, which is a really dark chocolatey brown with, and a little bit tweedy, actually. So this is a two-tone, like two -tone. a little tote. Yep. Not little, but medium-sized tote. Yes. Well, actually, we'll get to that. Oh. <laughs> so, yeah, so the bottom part is the, the toasted almond, the nice brown, and then the top, I guess, two-thirds is in the Air Force, which is, I think of it as like a cornflower blue. So I think it looks nice. The yarn is really chunky, and the brown especially, you can see the plies. 
So it was a, probably not the best choice in terms of starting the project at night and not exactly knowing what I'm doing and trying to figure out where to put the needle in and not put it in between, like in the middle split of the, the split. Yeah. yeah. So that was tricky. And then just trying to count the rows and not really knowing what I'm doing. And so, so I put that down and waited till the daytime and then things went much better. Although I was still <laughs> kind of splitting the, the yarn occasionally, but then I got to the, the light blue and that is working much better. And then I thought I finished the first side and it looked kind of short and I was kind of confused because I had done all the rows, but I remembered seeing the sample and I remember thinking it was much bigger and I was looking at the picture in the book and kind of counting the rows there and she, it was definitely, there were a lot more rows. And what I realized is in knitting, the forward and the back rows are separate counts. Like you count each row separately. In I don't know if this is how she writes her patterns or this is generally how Tunisian crochet patterns work. Forward and back is one row. So I had basically done half as much in height as I was supposed to. Luckily, really big yarn. So I just ripped it all back. So that was a little frustrating, but I am back. I have just finished the first half. I'm starting on the second half. And bonus, when you rip back crochet, you end up with just one loop that you have to pick up because that's how crochet works. Tunisian crochet is a little different because you have on the forward, you create all the loops on your needle and then you work back and you end up with one regular crochet. You just have one loop on your hook at a time. So that's kind of the main difference. But So you just had to take back to the brown, right? And yes. Then, okay. And then continue on with the brown and then do basically twice as much blue as I had done. And it really, it goes quite quickly, especially because it's using big yarn. It's been it's been fun doing something different. There's a couple of spots where I can tell that I did something wrong, but I can't quite tell what it is that I did. There's just like a little blip in the in the matrix, as it were. Otherwise, I th- I think it should be done by Saturday, and uh, I mean I'm already more than halfway done, so we'll be good. You got this. I totally got this. I have all day Saturday too, so in a pinch. Hopefully, I'll be done before then. How is your knitting going? I haven't knit a thing. Oh, right. You've been away. I've been away. You didn't take six skeins of yarn and a giant shawl to Hawaii. I did, actually. You did? Oh. I and then thought you didn't I knit might, on it? I thought I might knit on the plane, mm. but I have to say I didn't. And um, <laughs> and I want to blame like juggling it on a plane with the mask on. It would that would have been a lot. It was a little bit too much for me. That's not really airplane knitting. It's not. It's and I have to keep looking at the pattern because I'm, you know, I'm still kind of like refreshing myself with all of this. Yeah. So, unfortunately, I am still working on the short uh, so I'm doing the shawlography Stephen West, the fall knit along from 2021. It will take me a while and that's okay. I had taken back this section to reverse the color that was sort of uh, in the lead. And and it's just going a little bit slow. And now, I I mean, we're so busy for the next four weeks. I really don't know. I should pick it up because it's so relaxing, but we'll see. So no knitting and no sewing, really, because we were away. But I do have some easel stuff. Yay! Yay. And that is really where I want to be spending my time. Honestly, I really miss it. 
I did paint and draw some landscapes when we were in Hawaii and on the way there I did paint on the on the flight. It's always a little bit problematic because everything dries very fast on an airplane because of the circulated air. Oh, so you actually painted? I did paint. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, and then when we were in Hawaii, I'd finished up a little landscape that I was working on, and I tried to paint the Stradivarius for last week's podcast release, and I struggled with the gorgeousness of a Stradivarius violin is its symmetry and proportion. And I failed like three times. <laughs> and I feel like the one that I ultimately presented was not very loose at all. And I was feeling so, I mean, I was in Hawaii. I was so relaxed. So maybe not my best effort, but I showed up for it. I have been painting a lot of pigeons for the pigeon show that's happening this summer and a lot of fun birds and bird watchers for a project that I'm working on. And then we saw some amazing birds in Hawaii. Saw the red-footed booby, which I'm very excited to paint because I haven't I love a blue-footed booby. They're one of my favorites. So I'm very excited to do the red-footed version. There were a lot of tropic birds out our window. Those are white with a little bit of black on their back and a long tail. And I thought painting those would be fun if I did a really dark blue background, you know, so that there's a pop in contrast. And then anybody who's been to Hawaii knows about the chickens. Hawaii, in Kauai in particular, is positively overrun with wild chickens because of a hurricane that happened in the early 90s where their domesticated chickens, uh, the cages blew open. You know, it destroyed a lot of the cages. And so the domesticated population mingled with the wild population. And now it's like, it's just chicken island. <laughs> and in a great way, it's it's kind of wonderful. These families roam around together. The roosters crow all the time. I don't mind it at all. I think it's really whimsical and fun. And I love to watch the mother hens scratch and then her babies. Anyway, I'm telling you about chickens. I'm excited to do some sketching from the bird photos that I took. And that will be, that'll be really fun to go through all of those photos. And then our place overlooked this little cove that had sea turtles all the time. Every time you looked out the window, there were sea turtles like just surfing in the in the waves that were crashing below the cliff. That's so cool. It was very cool. So it was a major turtle themed trip. Since prom is coming up and Mike, now you got to follow this train of thought. Turtles, slow, wonderful creatures. My kid, slow, wonderful creature. He didn't quite ask his date in a timely fashion. And so when we came back, he had to do a promposal, which is this whole thing. <sighs> and so there was, we were at a baseball, or no, we were at a track meet and there was a baseball game going on. And some girl at the baseball game made an announcement, Joey Smith, you need to do your promposal really soon. <laughs> You're running out of time. Sorry. Anyway. Yes. Very relatable moment because my kid had a little bit of a delay with his ask as well. It's this whole thing. I don't understand. I, don't understand I just it. play along. Whatever. So I reminded him about it because I knew it was looming. This is once we got back to San Francisco and I said something offhand like, 
you want me to like help you draw a turtle because you're so slow at this promposal thing? He loved it. He loved the idea. We were all really into the turtles. And so I drew a sea turtle, a quick pencils sea turtle. This totally counts for my easel yeah, moment. Yeah, sure. And then I guided him in coloring it in with some really nice markers, art markers. And it came out great. And so he did some lettering on it and presented it. And she said yes. And hooray. Good thing since he already rented the tux. (laughs) I know. He rented the tux. I bought all the stuff for the corsages. Like, geez, kid. (laughs) (laughs) Good thing she said yes. Yeah. So I I would like to add turtle promposal to my... (laughs) To my um, easel list. Cool. Well done. Thank you. (laughs) Is that all the easel? Yeah, it's mostly been sketchbook stuff. And then I have a lot of big things coming up this summer that I'm excited about. But I also have a lot of life happening right now. Yes. So that happens. All right. On the table. So first, I was very excited because I actually made cookies. (gasps) I know. So off brand for me. But I hadn't made them in a while, and I was listening to a podcast, and they were doing a special recipe episode, and so the one of the hosts recommended these cookies from King Arthur Baking, and I think they're actually from their holiday series that they just did recently, but I thought they were delightful for spring as well. They're olive oil orange sugar cookies, so obviously olive oil and a ton of orange zest, but also cardamom and cloves and nutmeg and turmeric Mm. so they are a gorgeous yellow color with the flecks of the orange zest and then the spices were just an amazing combination and then you roll it in sugar that you've put more cardamom and orange zest and do you do that thing where you sort of scrunch the sugar with the orange zest yes i love and turmeric there was turmeric in there too because it was very yellow yeah. So Beautiful. it was gorgeous. It tasted great. Do you remember when we were talking about gluten-free flour? I don't know if we discussed it on the podcast or we just talked about it because you sent me the gluten-free pie crust recipe. She had her own flour blend that included how much xanthan gum and other stuff to use to help stabilize it. I said, oh, I don't need to. I use the cup for cup or one for one. And it already has that in there, which is true. But then I realized that my store had been out of that brand. I brought some, bought something else, and it did not have any of that. The cookies turned out okay. They were pretty... The dough was really, really sticky, even after I had chilled it for a couple of hours, which is what it recommended. And it worked. I was just able to roll it in balls and roll it in the sugar. They spread out a ton, but they tasted fine. So I'm not sure if it was a proportion issue there were multiple things that could have been <laughs> been a problem, and I have no idea. But they tasted fine. I wonder if freezing it would have helped. Maybe, but I don't have enough space in my freezer. Where there's a will, there's a way. Well, yeah, possible. I will consider that for next time. But yeah, these were really tasty. I mean, just the color and then the flavor of the spices. I think, you know, usually you do like a gingerbread kind of thing, and, and you expect those spices. And so these were just a little bit different and... Very delightful. And my children, you know, were grabbing them as they'd come upstairs after, you know, doing homework for a while. So I I feel like they were overall a win in the household. Fun. And then I've been going back into Simple by Otolenghi, which I've had for a while. And I go in 
spurts of using it. And every time I go through it, I'm like, oh, this sounds really good. So I wanted something kind of simple. Um, so the first thing I found was baked mint rice with pomegranate and olive salsa, which looks super complicated. It sounds great. But it's delicious. And it's basically you bake rice with some mint leaves, mint sprigs on top. That's basically what you're doing. So that's dead easy, right? <laughs> I mean, it's not complicated. It's easier than regular rice because you're not like stirring it in the pot. Or, you know, I mean, you don't stir rice, whatever. You're not trying to get the heat just right and all that stuff. So that was really easy. And then you make uh, a salsa with green olives and pomegranate seeds and pomegranate molasses and mint and Is this garlic, basmati or jasmine? Mm, basmati. You could probably use jasmine as well. I love rice. Rice is delicious. And pomegranate molasses in the salsa as well, which I didn't have, but it didn't call for a lot. So I, I think I threw in lemon juice. I did a search for substitutes and I mean, you just needed a little bit of more liquid and tartness. And then when the rice comes out of the oven, you let it sit for a little bit and then you throw some, a bunch of feta on it and then you top it with a salsa. And it was so good and really easy. Delicious. Uh, so that one I liked a lot. And then I served it with a tomato chard and spinach thing with with toasted almonds i was just looking at the like recipe name yes a, or even a braise you cook it for mm. about i want to say 20 minutes which seemed really long but then the tomatoes get all jammy cooked down and delicious and i had not read the recipe all the way through so i washed my chard and my spinach in one bowl and then got to the part where it said okay after you've cooked everything for 20 minutes now throw your spinach in so my spinach was already all cooked down. I think it was fine. It would have just been a different contrast of flavors. But you did have the toasted almonds, which you had pre-sauteed with paprika and caraway. So they were all toasty and flavorful and delicious. This is like a flavor explosion. It totally was. And in with the tomatoes and the chard, you also put mint and dill and lime juice and zest and green onions. So I, yes. so I was a little bit worried too much mint. Solve that problem by forgetting I needed mint for the tomato recipe and using it all for the rice and the salsa. But there was still, with all the other flavors going on, just so much. The rice was so good on its own that I almost didn't want to put the tomato deliciousness on top. So I solved that by like doing it on just half. So then I could taste the rice and the salsa on its own and then have some with the whole full flavor combo. That it was a delicious meal. You always have great results from that cookbook. Yes, that and is that's true. That's simple, the simple online. Yes, yep. And it's got a ton of vegetables as well. Yeah. So that's helpful. And the meat ones look good too. I'll have to, at some point, the husband is going to start traveling again pretty soon for work. So we will dive into the meat recipes and see how those go. So did you cook anything at all that you well, want to I, talk about? I cooked when we got home. We ate a lot of ahi pokey because mm. that's what you do when you're in Hawaii. That's true. We haven't had like a vacation restaurant review in a while. I know. Excellent. Let's I hear it. I might have some from Northern California next week too. Ahi pokey for me, I like it really naked because I, I'm a sushi person, so I don't really need that much on it. But I found that it's sort of more seasoned in Hawaii than I prefer. So I had to ask for it just plain or with a little avocado or otherwise it was just overpowered with other things because I prefer the taste of the fish. No real other gem from our vacation eating except 
that I have a cocktail for you. Oh. We had a cocktail called A Cocktail of Two Cities. We were in a sushi restaurant in Poipu called Stevenson's Library, which I thought was going to be this like library restaurant, but it wasn't. And it's okay. It's They're forgiven because of this cocktail alone. So the recipe is Choya Yuzu Sake, sake Gin, Gifford Orzat, which is like um, an almond, orange, simple sugar, I guess, huh? kind of a thing, and orange bitters. This was so gorgeous. It was like drinkable perfume. It just smelled like oranges and almond and citrus and oh it was so great loved it i'm gonna definitely try to recreate it here at home and that is my crowning souvenir (laughs) from the trip and then we came home and i had to cook again and i've just been making the usuals and then we did a honey garlic pork chop the other night Mm. which was so fast They were really thick pork chops, and so I did them in the skillet and then put them under the broiler in the oven, and then the sauce that goes with it is a really simple reduction with honey and garlic and butter and a good guzzle of rice wine vinegar, which is perfect Mm. with the honey. You could do maple if that's your thing. Great, simple recipe. And we ser- I served it with a big salad and the, oh, I found that ranch powder seasoning at Trader Joe's. It's oh, like a, it's ranch flavored and it's not super salty, which is awesome. Yeah. And so I just did it on oven roasted potatoes. I was going to do the spiced Andes potatoes from Everyday Vegetarian, yep. but landed on the ranch one instead. And it was so fun. Totally different. So that's it. That's all I've been cooking, and I'm not going to cook this week either. <laughs> well done. I love it. Okay, so on the nightstand, did you do reading? I did some reading. Good. Otherwise, what did you even do on vacation? <laughs> Drink cocktails? Um, Just one or two. I did a lot of snorkeling, and I swam in the pool when it rained, which was <sighs> my chief joy. That well, is... that and watching the turtles. Yeah, that's pretty good. Oh, so before I start my books, this is a combination of on the nightstand and on the table, Julia Tertian has a podcast of Simply Julia. And she recently did interviews with Jasmine Guillory and Casey McQuinston, who are two of my favorite romance writers. How fun. Super good. And they talk about food because both of them have a lot of food in their books. Two delightful interviews. Keep Calm and Cook On is her podcast. Fun. Is this new? A new podcast or... She's been doing it for a little while. I haven't really listened to them, but I follow her and I saw that she was interviewing the my writer friends. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I had to listen. The, the one with Casey McQuinston, uh, it's a little bit more serious. They dive into disordered eating and issues they both have with image and food. So that one's a little heavier, but a lot of good food talk because they both also really love food. The Jasmine Guillory one is a little bit lighter, but they're both quite good. I'm so excited to to listen to this. Yeah, and I mean, she has a ton of other episodes. I just haven't, I haven't really gone deeply into them. Yeah, it looks like a COVID project. She started it during COVID I and think it's so. continuing. Yeah. Great. Okay, so then for my books, uh, starting off with two nonfiction, I didn't even really realize that one. So I am just jumping right along on my my New Year's goals. So the first was actually for my book club. 
Opening Skinner's Box, Great Psychological Experiments of the 20th Century by Lauren Slater. And it, I mean, it's kind of exactly what it says. She, she is a psychologist. She took 10 experiments and each chapter looks at one of them. She goes into the history of them and the fallout from them and, you know, and the actual experiments, what they were. And some of them I had heard of, some of them I hadn't. They were all quite interesting. But then she did a lot of personal stuff to, I guess, to try and make it interesting. The consensus in the book group was that she really didn't need to do that. And none of us, none of us cared about her personally. And it just was kind of weird. But I was looking on Goodreads. A lot of people really liked that connection that they they felt she was making with them. So your mileage may vary on that one. And we had a good discussion about some of the experiments and what it meant. And so that was that was a some good things about that one and some some things I didn't enjoy quite as much. And then I read Powers and Thrones, A New History of the Middle Ages by Dan Jones. Riveting. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> Obviously not for everyone, but if you like the Middle Ages, this would be the book for you. I think because you have such a working history, like your working history of the Middle Ages is unparalleled to anyone else's I know. So for you, you can just jump into a book like that, whereas I would have to like Wikipedia family trees the whole time just to who's no, but, who? No, because like that's the thing. This is, this is, I mean, it's 600 pages in a thousand years. So this is a high level overview. And I really don't, I mean, he's, he starts off with the fall of Rome and then you've got, you know, the Huns and the, all the, a lot of movements and stuff. He's not focusing on any one country. There's no sort of oh. connection. And it was really kind of fascinating watching how he organized it because he would focus on different kind of groups of people who were important in the different regions periods, or... not even regions, periods of time. So we had a whole thing on the rise of knights and what they meant and some of the, you know, how knighthood changed over 500 years or whatever. And then the merchant class and like how that developed and the artists and the the monks and, you know, all these different kinds of people and jobs and, you know, that developed over this time period and the different there was the part where Rome was collapsing, and then there was the part that was like the middle of the Middle Ages when it was just all chaos. And, and then plagues. And plagues. And then towards the end where everything started to kind of come back together, and you got new countries developing, and the Renaissance happening. And yeah, so it was really interesting. And he, it, it actually was riveting. <laughs> it actually was riveting. And I do, like, I have a, a pretty good working knowledge of that part of history, but there's a lot that I don't remember. And when things were happening, and just and seeing how his his view of how it all worked together and, and the themes that he was finding in it was riveting. <laughs> so, and he did, he, and he, he did make the point that it is a very European focused because the middle ages by definition happened in Europe. You, I mean, I think we still say things happen in the middle ages when it's happening in China, but like that doesn't make any sense for Chinese history. And he talked about the Mongols and the rise of Islam and the Huns and all these, it was, it was great. Awesome. So I enjoyed that. But one. it's six hundred pages. It was long, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, a thousand, There's a lot thousand to years. Cover. There's, There's thousand a thousand years. Yeah. <laughs> so, but he did it, and he has a ton of other books. He's one of those history writers that does all the academic work. There's a ton of footnotes, but he writes it using non-academic language, so us regular people can understand what he's talking about. It's accessible. Yes. Great. Then I read Collapsing Empire by John Scalzi, which. 
I'm super annoyed that no one has ever told me about this book series before. I already had to get the second one, and I'm trying to figure out how quickly I can read it. So fantasy, or I guess sci-fi, sorry, sci-fi, space, space adventure. It is far in the future. Humanity has left Earth behind, and we have an empire, and the, the planetary systems are all connected by the flow, which allows us to travel great distances faster than the speed of light. No one's quite sure how it works, but it does. There's one family who's in charge, and it's a very sort of feudal system, but it seems to work for, for them, or at least, well, obviously it works for the, the leaders, but that's how it's all set up. However, they have realized that the flow is collapsing, and all the planets are going to be separated, and humanity is in big trouble. So they have to, they have to save the world, all the worlds. Oh, no so good i had so much fun it was it's it's like a space it's definitely a space opera it's like a star wars it's adventure it's not going to change your mind about how science works or, or anything like that or make you think very deeply about anything much at all but it was so fun it's nice snarky characters which i really love good this, strong female is this characters be a teen boy crowd pleaser too i would think so yeah yeah, yeah. great so super fun i'm very excited and he has he has a ton of other books this one I think it's a trilogy and it just finished last year, I believe. So I don't even have to wait for any of the any of the books except if the library doesn't have them immediately available, which I had to wait for this first one, but then the second one was available right then, which I was a little annoyed because <laughs> I have so many other books that I need to read, but I just checked it out anyway. Then I listened another new series on audio, Raven Black by Anne Cleves, which is the first in the Shetland series which there's a TV show that people seem oh, very yeah. excited about. Yeah. And I so I'd sort of heard about it. And then at the retreat, I was talking with one of my friends there. And she's, did we talk about her last time? She's read like more books than I have. She read 365 books in 2020. I'm not even sure how that's possible. But Does she cook? She doesn't cook, huh? I don't know. <laughs> that could be. I don't know. But anyway, so I was like, oh, and, and her genre of choice seems to be mysteries. We don't have a ton of overlap in our in our book choices, but Mysteries is one of them. So I asked her for a new series because I needed something else for my audio. She said, you should check this out. So yes, quite good. Um, so they're on Shetland, which is an island way, 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 way north in Scotland. I looked it on a map and it's like really far north. So there's a small town. A teenage girl is found murdered. They think it might link back to a previous disappearance of an even younger girl, like eight years before. There's a strange old hermit guy that they think is in, killed both of them, and but it was never proven in the first case. So now they're kind of opening that case back up and trying to figure out what happened to the, the new dead girl. And so you've got the whole town and all the characters and the, the police officer, the, the main detective who's the main guy is from um, a different island and his mom wants him to move back home. So he's got family issues. And so it was quite good. There were parts of it where I was like, is this the character being misogynistic? Or is the author just buying into the patriarchy? So I'm mean, definitely going to check out a few more in the series and see how it goes. And for sure, Louise Penny had a couple of statements at the beginning of her early books where I was like, really? But then she has certainly moved on. So but it was it was a good mystery. And you know, I did. I'm going to pretend that I figured it out. <laughs> Because one of the 15 people that I guessed did it was actually the murderer. So there we go. So that was good. And then One Italian Summer by Rebecca Searle. Surly, S-E-R-L-E. One of those kind of romances, but that are more 
I would I would call it more chick lit because there's a lot of other things going on. And it's definitely not going to be a book for everyone because the first thing that happens is the main character's mother has just died. So she is bereft. They were supposed to go to Italy where her mom had spent a summer right before she got married and hang out on the Amalfi Coast and re-experience everything. And so the can't remember her name. The, the woman is kind of questioning everything about her life and decides she's going to go on this trip and connect with her mom and just think about her life and what she wants to do. And when she arrives there, it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. I mean, it's the Amalfi Coast. I haven't been, but I've heard. I've and, been. I would like to go back. Yes. And she meets her mom from 30 years ago. Oh so my it's goodness. a little bit of a ghost story. And so she's, you know, trying to get to know her. Family secrets are revealed. And there's a hot Italian guy. And so there's... There's got to be some limoncello, too. There's some limoncello. There's a very late night with some limoncello. There's a lot of uh, scenery. There's a lot of food discussion. So there's a lot of good good things about this book. And, and it ends up kind of a romance. I mean, there's a lot of love. And it's kind of all the things you would expect from this book. And she's a really good writer. And I guess she had stayed at the hotel that she sets the book at in 2019 and had been planning to go back and obviously couldn't. So she based a lot of it on, you know, people she had met and the actual hotel, which I thought was kind of fun and makes me want to go there even more. And one of the owners of the hotel was named Monica. So obviously it's a great book and a great hotel. And that, then that yeah. is a beautiful pocket of the world yeah. for sure. Hands down. Someday. Highly recommend. 10 out of 10. Good to know. And then finally, The Swimmers by Julie Atsuka, which was amazing. Um, And I definitely need to go read her other books. So it starts off with a description of the swimming pool. I think it's in LA, somewhere in California, um, and all the people that enjoy swimming there and what it means to them. And then there's a crack in the swimming pool. And what does that mean? And everyone's freaking out and they're trying to study it. And then they decide it's not a problem, but more cracks appear and they eventually have to close the pool. And one of the people that was a swimmer there is Alice. And she is an older woman who's been experiencing dementia and the swimming kind of helps her, but now she doesn't have the swimming. So the second half of the book is her decline and her relationship with her daughter and the things she remembers and the things she doesn't. And ha, huh, it was an amazing book. The writing is just beautiful. I think it's it's all in second person, like you mm-hmm. statements which made it really interesting. And then the story of Alice was beautiful and heart-wrenching and the relationship with her daughter. And I don't know how much of it is autobiographical. There definitely is written so that it feels like it is, but she's obviously a great writer, so it could all be made up as well. So again, a book that if you've lost a parent recently might not be what you would want to read, but it's also really beautiful. And so it might be something that you would need as well. And the part about the pool is just really amazing. You just really want to, I wanted everyone to read it so I could talk to someone about it because I have my theories about how it's structured and what it all means. And right now I don't have anyone to talk to about it. Well, I love her writing and I think I will try to get my hands on it, even though it's hard to read about a parent's death still, but it sounds like something I would adore. Yeah, it was really good. How about you? I have four books for you, but I also have to brag that I visited the most westerly bookstore in the United States. Cool. (laughs) 
if that's that's my travel coup. Oh, I'd hundred percent be there for that. <laughs> yeah. So it's called Talk Story, and it's in Hanapepe in Kauai. It feels like an old Western town. It's a little bit in from the coast, like five blocks. <laughs> and the town is really cute. And it's this old building that they, I don't know if it's always been, you know, it could have been a general store at one point. Really beautiful, pretty good book collection. Lots of Hawaiiana type books. My kids all found books there. They they had a lot of stickers and cute things like that too, gifty things. And it was just so charming to go visit the most westerly bookstore in the United States. Did you buy books there? Um, we did. I didn't buy any, but we'd got, um, we got a couple books for the boys and I had plenty with me. <laughs> yeah, but that never stops me with from like vacation book or yarn buying. <laughs> I have a list of books that I'm trying to get my hands on right now, and I did search for those like 15 books, and they didn't have them on the shelves. I just wanted to give it a shout out because it was such a great shop. So I have four books. How to Stop Time by Matt Haig. I have read other ones of his recently. Midnight Library. Yes. I think I read the How to Stop Time, and I really liked it. I love his writing. He's so good. This one was super weird. In a, yes. Yeah. Our main character is Tom Hazard, and he belongs to the Albatross Society. Shout out, bird. He's 41 years old from the looks of it, but really he's centuries old. He was born in like the 1400s or something, or 1600s. And his condition is that he is very slow aging, which sounds wonderful, but basically you're going to outlive all the people you love. It takes place chiefly in London, and for a large part of the book, he is trying to... It's kind of weaving back and forth in time. And the people he loved most have died hundreds of years before, and he has a daughter. And they suspect that she has his condition, but they've been separated and he can't find her. And the Albatross Society is meant to protect people like him, and so he has to go on these sort of missions and figure things out. I have to say three quarters of the book, it feels sort of not fun that this guy is stranded in his not aging body, but it feels kind of light, you know, like will he find her or will he not? And then it takes this incredible turn and you're confronted with truth, what's true and what is most important to you. And if you're going to live for so long, what makes living worthwhile? And it got profoundly heavy at the end, but great book, such good writing. And I want people to add it to your list if that sounds like your cup of tea. Then I read a book called Snapper by Brian Kimberling. I borrowed this book from the library because the description was that it was sort of an amateur bird watcher. Like he's meant to do these bird counts. And you know, I'm a book fiend or I'm a book fiend. I'm also bird fiend. So this is a sure bet for me. He is recalling this one pocket of time. I think it's maybe about a year, year and a half in the Midwest when he is doing this amateur bird count. There's this trial looming where they're trying to protect this pocket of land from being developed. And he is called in as an expert witness 
And at the same time, that's very tertiary, that part, but he's also be dating this woman on and off named Lola. And she is so everything. She is just this really powerful person in his life. And he spends a lot of time in this book waxing poetic about Lola and then sort of closes the book on Lola. And it's a really interesting way to encapsulate this important coming-of-age moment in his life. I just thought it was it was kind of powerful how the importance of memory and then letting go of that and moving on and the growth. So I appreciated the character growth. I loved the bird stuff, of course. And I thought it was pretty good. So that was Snapper. Then, on the plane ride home, I read... The Entirety of The Paris Wife by Paula McLean. So no knitting. I just read a book. This is the story of Hadley Richardson, who was Hemingway's first wife. So I read that new Paula McLean about the disappearing girls up in Northern California, Mendocino, and I loved it. And so now I feel like I have to read everything that she's written. I think her writing is particularly great her research is so well done. I I just, it is so easy for me to get lost in her prose and I, I can't say enough good things about it. So this takes place in the 1920s in Paris. Hadley was maybe like eight years older than Ernest Hemingway when they met and married. And it was like this sort of whirlwind thing. And it is chiefly from her perspective and how she bolstered him through this early rocky start to his career and the post actually like sandwiched between two wars time in Paris. Oh my gosh, the luminaries, although they weren't yet luminaries, who they spent time with. I just thought it was it was historical fiction for sure, but also tremendously escapist because it it just felt very grounded and I f- the writing was incredible. Have you read that? I have not. I don't like Hemingway, so I kept staying away from it, but I know it's not, it's not really, it's, it's not, about her, so. Yes, he's in the book, but I really feel like we are so close to the vest with Hadley, and you're rooting for her, and even though I knew where this was all headed, I was really invested in her. I thought it was wonderful, just really wonderful. And then I read The Painter by Peter Heller, our guy. Is it a new one or an old one? It's an old one. People have been telling me to read this for a while because I happen to paint also. Um, Do you? I do (laughs) on occasion. The the main character in Peter Heller's The Painter and I are very different people. (laughs) Thank God. His character is Jim Stegner and he lives in rural Colorado. And man, okay, I have some problems with this book. And I don't feel bad saying any of this because it's it's important to me. So I feel like what is happening in this book is that we're kind of glorifying the somewhat tortured male artist trope. And no, <laughs> you do not have to be some tortured human being to create art. Anybody can create art if they are so called to do so. So I just want to say that. That bugs me. However, if I can let go of that, which is not the whole story, of course, but it is part of 
how he thinks the world sees him, and that irritates me. There is a lot of judgment going on, not just my own judgment of this book, but there's a lot of judgment in the character of himself and other people, and there is so much happening. So he's painting, he's well-known, he left Santa Fe to go to rural Colorado because, you know, the spotlight was too intense or whatever. Poor baby. I know. He's gone through a world of stuff himself. He's lost a daughter. He's had failed relationships. And the one thing that he can make happen is a beautiful painting. So awesome. Go paint. The process part is interesting to me. He'll be walking around and see something and then go and paint his version of it. And that part I loved because I'm super visual and and how he encounters art and absorbs it. And then I loved all of that art talk. So art stuff aside, he's also a fish, like a fly fisherman and he's in a great spot to do that. And he encounters this moment of violence like out in the wilderness and he loses it the ensuing drama from his moment really takes it is very much like a peter heller book Mm. you know like we're just gonna go for a river raft in colorado what was that book the river and then there's all this drama so there's a lot of drama injected into jim stegner's quiet painterly life and that's really what propels the book along. There's some great moments. I really liked the book. I wanted to love it because, you know, but there were certain things that took me out of it and Mm. irritated me as a woman painter with a family and who still gets stuff done. And I hate that I'm even comparing myself to a fictional painter, (laughs) but it is a trope. I mean, having also just read the book that does have Hemingway. Right. So, right. I feel like there might be a little connection there. Yes. Thank you. So that that was how I burned the midnight candle with that one and was happy to finish it. And I, I think that I like the later Peter Heller. I mean, his writing is still great in this. There's some things that are sort of choppy sentence fragment mm. things, which are, I think, meant to be inherent in the character. So it's hard to critique that. But yeah, it was interesting. Cool. So many people have told me to read that book because I love the dog stars and I really liked the river. Have you read Celine? Mm -mm. No. I think that was his, I guess his third one, which I know people adore and I didn't love as much as dog stars or the river. So. Yeah. And I have a stack of great books on the nightstand for. Good. Yeah. But basically I just want to paint. Fair. And we have to start planning bingo because bingo is coming, people, because it's the end of April, which means in a month it will be bingo season. So get ready for a super fun time. She really, people, she's just talking to me that I have to like <laughs> refresh the bingo card and it will take me a little bit because I want to do a fresher one this year. Last year, I think I just changed up a couple things, but I think we'll give it a, a good revamp. I have a lot of energy. All right. <laughs> cool. So if you haven't, if this is for your first time or you haven't listened since the summer, it's it's a fun, we create a bingo, well, we, Courtney creates a bingo card with fun things to do that are either crafting or cooking or reading 
because that's what we're all about. And then you try and get a bingo and you share with all of us if you want, and then you can win fun prizes. And it's a good time. And it's just, it, especially in quarantine, was kind of a good way to to try and get out and, and do things and try something new. And we don't want it to be stressful. No. And we try to do, try to make it in a way that's inclusive for your people, you know, so that it's not like a solo activity, although it can be. And I, I still love like the heirloom recipe one, like the stories that mm. we get from people about their that was good. heirloom recipes and hearing about what people are reading. I just... It is a great project, so um, look for that in a month. Yeah, and if you have any ideas for squares that you think would be really good, throw them in uh, an email or a text or a Yeah, you know how to find us. Instagram. Yep. We're always, like, running around San Francisco. If you listen after we stop talking, the all the, all the addresses will be in in the little announcement. In the postscript. In the postscript, that's right. All right, so get ready for that. And until then, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.